this is Jody Crane, Chief Medical Officer for Team Health. I'm really fortunate to have uh, Ahmed Soleiman here, who's Chief of Anesthesia at New York Presbyterian Queens. Prior to coming to Team Health, uh, Ahmed was Chief of Anesthesia for Envision Physician Services at Day Kimball Hospital in Connecticut, and he worked for Envision for 13 years prior to coming to Team Health. We're really lucky to have Dr. Soleiman. He brings a total of 18 years of clinical experience to Team Health, and he earned his medical degree from Cairo University of Medicine in Cairo, Egypt, and completed his residency at the University of Miami in Jackson Memorial and Ryder Trauma Center in Miami, Florida. He also received his Master's of Business Administration from the University of Tennessee in 2018. Really happy to have you here, um, Dr. Solomon. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. So uh, I really feel lucky to have you on the phone with me because you literally are right in the thick of it in New York City, in Queens. And um, yesterday was the peak of resource consumption for all of New York State in terms of the demands for COVID-19 on the resources in New York City. So just to put that into perspective, there was a total inpatient bed demand of 23,000 beds in New York and there were 10,000 short of where they needed to be. 13,000 ICU bed demand, 6,000 short of where they needed to be, and a, and a 5,000 ventilator need. So given that, uh, you know, we're, we're on now April 9th, can you describe what it's like on the ground at New York Presby? Yeah, so let, me, let me just start with, um, um giving a, a little hint about uh, New York Presbyterian Queens. We are actually the mid-sized hospital. It's 535 beds. We have about 40 to 45 um, ICU beds in the hospital. And um, of course, we are the epicenter now in Queens with uh, um, the COVID-19. And um, I would say that we uh, increased the capacity of the hospital to um, we have patients now admitted to the hospital about 575 patients. So we increased it by 40 beds. And we increased the capacity of our ICU from 40 um, bed, uh, ICU beds to 105 beds so far that the patients are intubated and ventilated. Um, so we're, we're actually, yeah, we increased as much as we can from the ICU beds and the number of beds. Uh, to accommodate the, the, the influx of patients that with COVID-19 that's coming in this area. Um, I think that uh, everybody was trying to do their best uh, from the emergency department, um, the internal medicine department, the anesthesia department, all departments and the administration of the hospital tried to uh, work uh, uh, co uh, collaboratively to make sure that we increase the number of beds very quickly within, I think, the first week um, of uh, COVID-19 um, spike, we actually started to increase the number of beds uh, tremendously, especially the critical care ones. So that's, that's, those are kind of um, just remarkable numbers. And it sounds like you're saying pretty much everybody in the ICU is intubated. Is that right? Um, as a matter of fact, we, in, we opened other units from the floor unit to actually um, accommodate patients um, that they are intubated and ventilated. We have patients that outside of ICU settings, and we try to um, make units for this. Uh, but we have patients that they are outside of ICU settings that they are intubated and ventilated. Actually, that's that's incredible. So, so you're an anesthesiologist. 
Um, how's your clinical role changed as this pandemic has unfolded? I mean, obviously, you're, you've canceled all elective cases. You're probably doing only emergent cases in your ORs. So uh, tell me what life's like as an anesthesiologist um, at your facility right now. Uh, definitely changed our life uh, tremendously. Um, as you mentioned, we uh, canceled all the elective cases. Uh, we've been, um, uh, we canceled this, I think, beginning of the week of uh, March 16th. Um, that's uh, when we um, canceled all the elective cases. We did some semi-urgent cases at that time, uh, cancer patients, cardiovascular uh, uh, patients, but um, uh, but we canceled uh, most of the ortho cases, the elective cases from ortho urology, uh, GYN. Um, so it changed our life as we, because now we are outside of the operating room. Our experience is not needed in the operating room at that time. We had to focus on uh, more of intubations and critical care and uh, helping. Uh, we were actually helping the, all the departments in the hospital, especially the ED department with the major influx. Our ED department um, usually have about 100 to 110,000 visits a year. It's about like, you know, between 250 to 270, maybe sometimes 300 visits per day. It spikes to up to 375, maybe actually 380 visits per day during this. So we changed our scope of practice, actually, and not just in, you know, taking care of patients in the operating room, but you know, taking care of patients in the floor, intubating them, taking care of them in ICU. I have a cardiac anesthesiologist actually running ICUs um, in, in the hospital as intensivists. Uh, we don't have um, too many anesthesiologists, but they are actually critical care trained, um, but uh, working with the uh, intensivists uh, from the internal medicine department, we're actually making teams together to actually take care of these units. Because as you know, there is a port shortage. We did not get um, um, a lot of people to, um, to, to help us in, in here at the, like in the first week. We started to see people coming in here uh, second week and third week now. Um, I think we're, we're doing very good with the staffing. Uh, it's just like, of course, with the number of, of beds to cover uh, the critical care beds, it is a little bit tight. So it's really interesting. So it sounds like you guys are running around doing, do you have an intubation team? Is that what you're running? What we are actually created, we created intubation teams, um, uh, one MD and one CRNA. We have about uh, three to four intubation teams during the day. We have line seats for vascular access, um, whether A lines, the central lines. Um, we, um, we, we, we actually connected with uh, um, cardiovascular surgery to actually have these uh, line teams. Uh, we also um, like stationed um, a, a team of, for intubation in the ED to help the ED physicians uh, if they need any intubation right away in the ED. Um, we actually, um, also we still have patients that they come to the operating room for emergency procedures. So we still provide services in the operating room, of course, like in a one or two operating rooms, but not uh, as it used to be. Uh, we still maintain our OB practice. Uh, we have still uh, um, OB uh, service here. Um, patients, they having their C-sections or uh, vaginal deliveries. So we still maintain the OB service. So it changed our practice from the operating room. In certain uh, areas, we continue to do um, um, our job as an anesthesiologist, uh, but 
uh, critical care is, is mainly now that's what we're involved in. And, and so your, your team that's running around intubating people on the floors in the emergency department, are they, are they wearing like a papper or are they uh, just kind of gowning up with an N95 and uh, full garb or um, how's that work? So regarding the PPE, we actually um, followed the um, instructions from the CDC and, and NIH for uh, papers. Uh, for papers, we um, we don't use papers, but we use um, the actually when we started, we used the, the uh, ortho helmet that we use in the operating room with the hoods that they actually um, uh, use there. We use it just before we enter the room to intubate the patient. Uh, because we cannot use the fan in there, um, the, the filter that is coming with these helmets um, is not viral filter, so uh, we try not to use it. That's how we started. Uh, we like it this way. We're covered uh, uh, the whole head, uh, shoulders, neck uh, with this hood, and it gives uh, us a little bit of a protection from, um, or extra protection, I would say, uh, from um, uh, from contaminants getting contaminated. We wear gowns, gloves, of course, double gloves. Um, so PPE-wise, we were actually following the guidance from uh, um, um, the um, CDC. Great. So, so on that same kind of line of um, just questions regarding PPE, so is your, how's your PPE holding out? So you guys are in the, in the thick of it right now. So um, are you getting supplies in and um, have you received anything from Team Health, or uh, what's what's your situation there? Um, our situation in the beginning was a little bit tight because we, like you know, every hospital was not fully prepared for that hit, especially the the massive spike. Um, over the period of time, we started having um, um, better um, better stocking of uh, PPE. We received actually a huge shipment from Team Health. Uh, for PPE. Uh, we still continue to receive uh, shipments from Team Health. We have a lot of physicians also donated um, um, uh, masks and, uh, uh, and gowns and, and um, uh, uh, face um, uh, covers and all that stuff to help with the PPE. We received it from a lot of uh, organizations around in New York City. Um, people are actually stepping up and, and they, they wanted to help in every way or shape uh, or form. That's great to hear. Um, yeah, it's a number one priority for us is is provider safety, both physical safety and, and mental uh, safety as well. Um, along those same lines about, you, you mentioned people stepping up. So, um, you know, you're the FMD there. How does your staff respond to this challenge? So you're, you're obviously short staffed across the, the organization, um, you know, how has your, 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 your staff that's there responded? And uh, have you gotten um, volunteers from outside the organization to help out? And what's the general um, esprit de corps, or what's the general attitude around there? Uh, I have to say, I have a very um, great team. I'm very fortunate to have the team that I have here. Um, they are actually stepped up uh, very quickly. And they know that we signed up for this once that we, we are in medical school. Um, so it, it's something that we haven't seen before, but um, everyone uh, stepped up, everyone uh, trying to help. I, I cannot deny that there's always a fear um, that for, uh, for, like, you know, 
personally, I would say, like, you know, everyone will feel like the fear of contam getting contaminated and getting the disease. Um, also, we're, we're afraid of, uh, for the loved ones, uh, for our families, for, um, for our kids. Uh, so it, it, is, it is mixed emotions, of course, when we go and treat these uh, uh, patients. But one thing that I actually mentioned in my last meeting with the team is when we walk into the, to, to the rooms and the COVID unit, we do not see COVID. We actually see patients that they need our help. And this is the time to actually help these people and to be um, really um, heroes and help them and take their hands and, and, and get them to pass this very quickly. Um, uh, we got a lot of support from um, uh, uh, institutions that outside of actually the state of New York. We have physicians that came here from Florida. We have CRNAs that came here from Florida. And the ICU, I've seen uh, people coming from Kansas. I've seen people coming from Nebraska. I've seen people coming from Oklahoma. Um, I have seen people from Louisiana. Um, they are stepping up. Uh, uh, I, I just actually met today uh, um, um, one of the intensivists that uh, she came from Louisiana. So we're uh, we're um, we're doing really really well uh, from uh, from morale point of view. From um, our, um, I think everyone is feeling that they are doing something really. Um, they, they, you might not do it again in their lives. It's something that we will see once in our lifetime. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think you make a great point. You use the term heroes, and I. Couldn't agree with you more. I mean, you know, I want to look back on this time period in our lives uh, and and be able to confidently say we've done everything in our power to, to help patients, to help providers, et cetera. And, you know, what you're describing with people kind of literally um, getting in between the patient and intubating them and protecting the rest of the staff, uh, you know, joining teams and becoming an extension of the intensivist when that's not really what you're trained to do. I mean, there's some heroic things going on that I'm hearing uh, from you and that we talked about the last time we were on the call. And uh, I, I couldn't characterize it with any better single word than, than heroes. So I, 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 I'm glad to hear you say that. Talk One about, thing I wanted to mention uh, also, it's, it's not just, sorry, it's not just the, 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 the uh, ICU team or the ED team or the anesthesia team, it's actually, even from surgeons and surgeons that they are not familiar with um, um, like critical care. Like I have um, here uh, ortho uh, surgeons, I have here urology surgeons. Uh, they are actually in the ICU trying to help as much as they can, um, helping with proning patients, helping with um, uh, anything that they are able to do to help these patients. Uh, I see that not just from the people that they are in the critical care um, field, but also uh, from people that they are outside of that. Wow. Yeah, I mean, uh, sounds like truly a team effort. Um, you mentioned proning patients. So I, that, that kind of cues me up to, to transition the conversation a little bit to the clinical care. So, um, you know, are you guys doing anything experimental? Or are you learning anything about the care for these uh, patients who are um, either in the ICU or patients who are being admitted that are COVID? Um, you know, how are your patients doing, um, either in the ICU, prior to the ICU? How long are they staying there? Are you able to get people off the vent and get them home? Help us understand what that picture is like. So um, our patients here, um, we have 
as I mentioned, we have about 530 patients as of today that they are actually COVID positive in the hospital. And we have about 105 patients that they are uh, on a ventilator. Um, we have discharged about 2,600 or a little bit more than 2,600 patients. And they were um, discharged from the hospital after being, being here with COVID positive, um, with symptoms, and we, admitted, we got admitted here for at least a day. Um, so we, are, we have seen discharges with COVID. That, that what we have seen in, in ICU is a little bit um, different. Um, people are, it, it, is very, um, uh, it is very difficult to, to take these patients uh, off the ventilator um, there are some patients that they are on the ventilator for about three weeks now. Um, the, the, the rate of excavation is not um, high. Um, there are some attempts for this, but it's not, um, it's not too, too successful. Uh, I think that we have excavated about uh, 10 patients that they still in the hospital. I think one, only one or two patients that we were able to uh, get discharged after being in, in, in uh, critical care. Uh, setting, uh, but um, but not not um, as many patients that from the ICU that they were actually been able to be discharged. Um, regarding the protocols, we're actually following the Will Cornell protocol. Uh, we are uh, uh, we're using a, a hydroxychloroquine with distal uh, mass. Um, we um, um, we actually tried also. Uh, 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 some antiviral, um, a protocol that coming also from uh, Will Cornell, but we don't at that time we don't use the uh, hydroxychloroquine with it. Um, it's the the improvement for these patients. Um, as I mentioned, we had some patients that be got discharged, uh, but they weren't in the ICU setting. Uh, we're still using it. We haven't seen too much improvement. Okay, great. And um, have you guys had to ration vents or? split vents or anything along those lines? Have you, have you faced any of those type of ethical dilemmas or have you had to kind of expand your vents beyond one-to-one um, -one use? Uh, we, um, I think there was some um, uh, thoughts about this, but we haven't uh, gotten to do this as um, um, like, you know, um, apply this in the clinical setting. Um, as you know, it's, it's very hard to find the same um, um, the criteria for patients to use the same vent because for that you have to have um, um, same requirements for ventilation for two patients and this is very difficult to actually find. Uh, we haven't used uh, a one vent for two patients. Um, as I mentioned, it was actually some thought in uh, Columbia University to do that. Um, it, it was just um, we haven't applied it clinically. Uh, it was just very difficult to do that. But you also, it sounds like you haven't had the need because you haven't had the kind of a ration event. Is that, that accurate? Uh, that's true. We haven't had the need to actually um, um, have the, to use the vent for two patients because we still have a um, good number of ventilators here. Uh, we still haven't used the anesthesia machine uh, uh, for to, as a vent. Uh, so this is another thing that we might be um, uh, going for next week uh, if there is a need for this. But so far, we are, uh, we are doing okay from the uh, ventilator number. Great, great. So, um, you know, 
Any final thoughts for others who haven't hit their peaks yet? So if you look back in the last couple of weeks and said, man, if I'd only done X, Y, and Z to prepare for this peak time period, um, what are some thoughts you have on, on what you would recommend other folks? Uh, one of the things that I would really recommend is have have a plan and like you know to increase the number of beds very quickly, especially the ICU settings. Um, I know it is not easy, um, but this this is one of the things that helped us uh, when we expanded. We had a plan um, that we're going to expand from the ICU to a certain floors that we prepared for those floors. We made sure that the oxygen pressure and the air pressure in there is sufficient to run ventilators. We had to make sure that we have the staff. We, the hospital administration contacted a lot of local um, traveler uh, nursing agencies to actually get more nursing staff. Um, so preparation for that, uh, for that is crucial. Uh, making sure that the, the, the amount and the level of PPE, it is very important because people also when they know that you have enough PPE, they feel more secure. They feel that they are, they are protected. Um, and I think that, uh, another thing is um, talking to the teams, preparing them mentally and emotionally. Uh, this is something that I would say is a medical war zone. Um, it, it, like, you know, I walked through the ED. There, there are some times that we don't find a place for one stretcher to add there. So we have patients that they are on uh, wheelchairs. Um, I think preparation for this has to be our, our what I think is very important is increasing the capacity of the critical care, increasing the capacity of the uh, hospital bed, and, and improving the nursing staff because that's another thing that will limit the number of beds and taking care of patients. Uh, I think this is very, very important before um, that really um, become a problem uh, in any certain state or, or um, city. So that's, that's a really great um, summary. And I'll, I'll just kind of reiterate it back to you and make sure we haven't missed anything. But it sounds like an incident command structure or some way for your administrative team uh, to really coordinate the efforts is important. Also, that communication with your frontline teams across the hospital, both from a clinical advisory perspective, but also from a mental health perspective, checking in on them emotionally, making sure they're properly supported. You mentioned um, having that, that plan in place to expand your bed capacity, um, your ICU capacity in particular, but also acknowledging that there's this human resource component of that, that, that as you have so eloquently demonstrated here, that maybe, um, you know, nursing, it may be support staff, but also doctors who are kind of uh, stretched outside of their normal uh, scope of practice. And, um, you know, uh, really, really great summary. And I'm glad you, you brought up this, this point about the emergency department and how there's, there's at times like literally no space for an extra stretcher. And you mentioned to me last time I was talking to that, um, that actually there was a day where the, the New York Presby Queens ED went on disaster and had to close their doors. Can you tell me what that was like? Well, it, that day really it was um, it was one of the um, busiest. And I don't want to use the word worst, but I would say like the busiest today that I have ever seen. I mean, the the emergency department seen 
uh, more than 380 patients coming in with 180 patients waiting for, admitted actually to the hospital, waiting for beds, but there are no beds. So literally there was no place for an extra stretcher, an extra wheelchair to actually have a patient on it. So um, I think that the decision was made to, um, 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 to have a, the disaster status at that time to actually stop that influx of patients. Uh, having 180 patients admitted in the ED was actually a huge number that the hospital cannot really tolerate so, and, and not able to move them uh, to any other beds upstairs. So at that time, the decision was made to actually uh, stop that influx of patients that coming through the door so we can actually place these patients first in, in beds upstairs and have more patients coming in. Uh, it was, um, I think it was 10 days ago that that's what happened. And we actually closed for about six hours or so. That, that's really incredible to me, um, knowing what, uh, what your emergency department's like and knowing that they see three or 400 patients a day and just knowing that 180 patients were sitting in the emergency department waiting to go upstairs. That's more than most EDs see on a daily basis. I would say also that we have, the ED here has certain criteria that even some patients that they used to admit before, they actually send them home. If they have a mild respiratory distress or um, saturation of between 90 to 92%, and they are not laboring, breathing, and, and they actually discharge the patients with oxygen and pulse ox, portable pulse ox. So they can actually check on them regularly at home over the phone and actually telemedicine to make sure that they, are, they don't need um, to come back to the hospital for admission. So, and, and I think we are, this is also decreased the amount of, or the number of patients that we have to admit to the hospital. So they created a little bit of a buffer zone that any patients that are coming with a mild respiratory distress or it's setting between 90 to 92, uh, that we can actually go home with oxygen and portable pulse ox. Wow, so even with fairly aggressive management, uh, outpatient management of these patients, um, still that um, load of patients in the emergency department. So Dr. Solomon, uh, I know you're really busy and I wanna thank you for, for uh, jumping on this podcast with me. Um, thank you for everything you do and your team's doing uh, literally right in the face of the storm. Uh, it's, a, it's reassuring to know that at least the statistics have shown that um, you're kind of past the peak, at least by a day. Who knows what's gonna happen day in and day out, but hopefully you're past the worst of the storm and uh, you're on the downslope of your, uh, of your COVID pandemic experience. But I uh, did wanna thank you very much for sharing your experiences with us um, hopefully your experiences uh, can help other people as they prepare uh, for their uh, COVID pandemic peak uh, in the near future. Uh, thank you, Ahmed. Really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. And I really appreciate the support that I'm also getting from, from you and from Team Health. And um, I, like, you know, as I said, it's, it's, I can't, this is not one person job or one man job. It's the team that I have here uh, is really, really good. And uh, of course, the support I'm getting from, from you, from um, the leadership and team health is actually helping me a lot. 
Thank you very much and uh, be safe. Thank you.